What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. You're listening to Sister Radio. Thanks for listening and tuning in today. We're talking with Shanda Catrice, the fabulous Shanda Catrice, talking about racism, spirituality, and radical love. Shanda is a spiritual, intuitive, healer, and radical love coach. So you know we're going to get into it. So stay tuned, listen, and enjoy. You're listening to Sister Radio. Shanda, thank you so much for coming on Sister Radio and talking with us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So we're going to just jump right in and dive right in. The topic, obviously, racism and spirituality and radical love is a big topic. (laughs) And I don't know that uh, 30 minutes or 45 minutes could cover the whole thing, but we're going to try to to get some good stuff on the show. So let's um, just start with what's a little background about you? Where are you from and what do you do? Who is Shanda Catrice? (laughs) So who's Shanda Catrice? So um, that's so big. <laughs> I'll try to put you compacted or um, give you the truncated version. But essentially, I'm from Chicago, born and raised. Around um, right after college, I left, and I've lived in now five major cities across the United States. So I have a pretty um, good perspective as far as like different cultures and different cities within America, and um, I started off as an artist. I went to school as a fine, for fine arts, and that led me to do design. Um, somewhere along that path, I had a spiritual awakening, and um, almost instantly, I just couldn't do that work anymore. So uh, my life had a big shift, <laughs> and I went on this journey to figure out who I was and what my purpose was, and that led me to going to film school, which is another story I'll leave out, which led me to um, eventually becoming an intuitive empath and spiritual life coach as my new profession and my now present current profession. Yeah, I love that title, Spiritual Intuitive Healer and Radical Love Coach. I just love that. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I change it up a little bit. So depending on different days, I may say different things. So I usually, I'm, I'm trying to fill out what what feels good for me in different spaces. I say different things. But essentially, I am a healer. <laughs> if I could just sum all that up to be a healer, and I do that through spirituality. And the base of my spirituality comes from a lot of esoteric knowledge and some Western uh, traditions. Uh, some Eastern traditions, and then just some indigenous uh, cultural traditions. Okay. And I'm just curious, um, the word healer, is that kind of synonymous with empath? I 
think it is, but you can also be a healer and not be an empath. I do think every empath is almost like that logic question, the puzzles that you should do in math a long time ago. But like, I do feel that all empaths are healers, but not all healers are empaths. That Interesting. Makes sense. I'm glad yeah, I asked you, that. You know, healers. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I'm glad I asked that. But sorry, I cut you off. What were you saying? You were saying all healers. Yeah, I was saying all healers aren't empaths <laughs> because every healer has a way in which they've been called to do the work. And um, empathic healing is specifically about the extrasensory feeling and sensing of energy, more like a physical or visceral sensing um, or picking up of or reading of energy in that type of way. So there are so many different types of ways of being healers. That's just one form of a healer. I like that. Okay. See, I feel like I'm already learning and it's been like 60 seconds. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I love hanging out with you online. I love watching your videos. Actually, speaking of which, you did a video recently on being an empath. And then the last one you did was when, when, oh, what is it? When things aren't going right, make a left. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, I did. Um, so so recently I did a video, which may be considered a little controversial, but it actually got um, over 1,500 views, which was like a shock to me because I didn't really think when I did the video, I wasn't thinking about a lot of people watching it. But I was just thinking like, I have to get this truth out. It's time for me to really step up and, and be visible and be seen and in my truth and really having that come out. I talked about the importance of being present and actually going into somewhat of what we call the darkness. So the dark, you know, this not everything is not light and everything is not love and how empaths are particularly being called right now to use their abilities and gifts to help with this transition of the world, to help with this evolution of the world and the old paradigm and the old model of just being positive and love and lighting everything away and meditating it away and sending warm fuzzy love it away is not going to be the solution in what's to come yes yeah and we've we've had the um fortunate experience of being able to discuss this together you like started a thread at one point on that facebook group we're a part of white woman for women of color and so that was really kind of the first time i had really had the perspective or the understanding that there is something going on within spiritual communities which essentially we need our spiritual communities for this revolution where we're just saying we're not going to take that road like i'm going to quote unquote take the high road and love and light it and it's like yeah but you're not doing the work you're not doing the work (laughs) (laughs) yes and, and and i think to the point of that there so i had the spiritual awakening in my late 20s Um, which is over a decade ago. And I do think that that message was pertinent at the time. So in early 2000s, when we we were all kind of babies in this new paradigm, that is what was needed. You did have to get strong in love and light. You did have to get strong in your positivity and your core vibrations. You had to kind of separate yourself from all the negativity, and you had to do that. But now we're moving. It's almost like... We're out of 
junior high now or we're out of high school where this is college or even we're out of college now some people and this is we're getting really into it so that old way of doing it is not that's stagnant that was the old way yeah. that was the beginning way that was our training wheels way that's what we were using to prepare ourselves for what we're to do now and that is to actually engage and not look away to look into darkness and and, and light it up. You know, if yeah. you're going to be that light, light it up. Yeah. And the only way you're going to light something up is bringing the light into the darkness. If it's a dark room, you can't light it up from afar. You can't stand down the block and say, oh, I want to light that room up. <laughs> you know, you know, you got to go and bring the light to the room. You yes. got to bring the candle into the room. Now there's light. Oh, a and really that good is the same thing with the darkness or with the negativity of the world or the chaos or what's going on in this, what I call, birthing period. <laughs> it is. It is like a rebirth. It's like a renaissance. It's like a revolutionary mm-hmm. time. It is. Actually, interesting point about you to, talking about going into the dark places as empaths and spiritual healers and people who are spiritually minded. Um, I actually just wrote a song in the chorus. The main line of the chorus is, Love isn't afraid of the dark. And... Like, mm-hmm. I just feel like you're really hit. You have like your finger on the pulse of what's going on within spiritual communities and outside of spiritual communities because you are living in a city. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's not all love and light. A, yeah, I'm living in a heavily populated city, which it can be difficult as empaths. And um, I think I may have done a video on this before too. But when I first moved to LA, I I just basically almost had just total breakdown and, and was just in my house and could not leave because the energy was so much for me. But I was talking about how you can't stay there and you have to, you can't just, if every empath or healer ran for the woods and lived in, um, a, you know, Big Bear or any amazing, you know, forest and, and, and off by themselves on mountaintops, then what good is the gift if it's not being used? You were, you know, the universe is perfect in a sense that everything is is working together. Everything is working towards this evolution. So if you, a lot of people, this massive amount of people are being born or, and I do think a lot of empaths aren't born, they're created, but a lot of empaths are being created or awakened you know, a lot of people like that term in our in the community. But a lot of empaths are being awakened to being an empath and they're not using this gift or they're just being overwhelmed and they shut down and retreat and don't know how to deal with this energy. So if the universe had all these people being awakened to this gift, it has to be for a reason. It has to be on purpose. And it has to be integral to wherever we're going next. So that's the answer to me. Like, that's the answer to the craziness going on in the world. You've already, the universe already gave you the solution. It gave you the Superman. It gave you the Wonder Woman and all the, that. That's what that is. That's what the empath is. Mm. And they're being born and they're being created every minute. That's really good. You know, I was going to get into this later, but I want to just, I think it's a good spot to just dive into 
as far as whitewash spiritual communities, obviously we're a time in our nation where I know, you know, I'm a white girl from the burbs and I grew up thinking racism was over. I genuinely did. And obviously within the past couple years, it's been so evident with Facebook live videos and, and we're really, everything's coming to a head. I kind of feel like right now what our country's going through is something either you could akin it to a volcano eruption, <laughs> like it's all coming to the surface and it needs to come out and it does look messy and it, and it does look violent and it, do, I don't know how to explain it other than that, or like a pimple being popped. Like we need that to come out. <laughs> so like, what has been your experience as far as being in LA or being in a major city and spiritual communities being whitewashed? Like what's your perspective? What have you learned in the past couple years and yeah I just I want to hear what you have to say about that too yeah but this one this is the one that gets me in trouble so but you know (laughs) I'm here to speak it but you know and a lot of it comes from my perspective a lot of it is information that I feel has been directly downloaded to me to give out as spiritual truths but it's particularly for LA because I've lived in five different cities and and I found the LA whitewashing a spiritual community to be the worst, um, if, if that, if I want to use it as good, bad, you know, um, I, I, maybe because this culture in LA has been known to be more of a superficial culture and known to be more of a surface type culture. Um, you know, that's what everyone feels a lot of times about LA because of the entertainment industry. And so I think that, um, every, if you, when you start to like pull back a little bit and understand, and this is particularly for people who lived not just visited, but lived in different places. I even lived in Africa for a summer. So, like, lived in a place. You have a different energy when you visit somewhere than when you live there. And you have a different energy when you are a person of color and you're a person that is of the majority in America. So there's a different perspective. And so every city has, you can call it a program, conspiracy theorists would call it a program, or every city has an uh, uh, overlying theme or energy. So, for instance, like um, L.A., you know, the energy of L.A. could be, it could be, it's one of its creativity, one of it is fame, one of it is vanity, is attention. So that is something that is a collective. And, and you can be spiritual, but you have to be aware of the collective energy because when a mass of people think one thing, it congeals and becomes fact. So fact is not necessarily truth. Fact is a congealed energy. When a massive amount of people think one energy, it solidifies and becomes fact. So when you look at going to, I lived in D.C. for a while, D.C. has another energy. And a lot of people there are on status and they're trying to achieve and they're really about education. And then you, I lived in Chicago where people there are about hard work, tradition, family values, staying with your kind, you know? So you have to understand that these threads are already existing, whether you believe in them or not. It's like with gravity. Whether I believe in gravity is irrelevant. If I step outside my balcony, unless I've ascended (laughs) to the level of some, you know, higher being, I will fall flat to the ground. So the same thing with these cities. If you already have a city of L.A. that the main energy of that city, regardless of what you believe in, is one of superficiality and surface 
and vanity, then the spiritual community will be an offshoot of that. So the whitewashing here, I think, just feeds or feeds off of or feeds into that overall energy of L.A. And it will take even more work for the spiritual L.A. person to dive even deeper and then they get you get tricked. So, for instance, if you are in L.A. and you're a little bit deeper than the average L.A. girl or woman or, I mean, or man or, you know, a boy, then you will start to feel that you're deep, that you're doing the real work because it, what you are um, using as a point of, reflect, of, of, of reflection is something that is superficial. So it's skewed. But if you actually lived other places, you would start to see or have a more well-rounded view. And I think that what's happening in L.A., particularly in the spiritual community, is exactly that. You have a lot of people who are what I feel doing pseudo-spirituality, and they're doing it as it is real work. But they're using it in reference to the people around L.A. who are really overly superficial and overly surface. So then in in reference and reflecting to that, they are deep. But essentially they're not. Because anytime, and so when I talk about this, and this is what gets me a little bit of trouble, is for me, anytime that your, your work is exclusive, whether intentional, and we talk about this in a group, intent versus impact. Whether it's your intention or not, anytime your group is exclusive and, and, and not inclusive, meaning there's more white people there or all white people there and not any people of color, then I question how deep is that spiritual work? How deep is it when you're still in a bubble? Yeah. Yeah. So then there's work to do. And if any, any spiritual person that has not began to dismantle the, like, I talk about this with, with a lot of my black and African-American friends and family members, and we talk about this a lot in the, in the community of the effect slavery has had on black people and, and how they still have that today. But what no one's ever talking about is if I can be affected by slavery and my mentality and just the, I'm still living through that different things in my family, different things in my community, I'm still affected by something that happened that many years ago, then the other side of that, the person who was on the other end of it, has to be affected too. And no one talks about what is the effect of the white culture of slavery. And I do think it's this. I think it's privilege. I think it's skewed views. I think it's um, centering. I think it's an over-importance of your opinion and your views. I think it's a... Um, thinking that you are right, feeling that you are right, no one can question or that you are ever wrong, um, you lose a sense of awareness, a sense of self-awareness, being able to question if what you're doing is right. And that is the danger in this spirituality bubble. That is the danger in the whitewashing spirituality is that you don't question that. And you have no one that you're reflecting it off of of a diverse voice. So this is why it becomes very dangerous, and it only furthers privilege and furthers the harm that is being done to people of color.
color. While it's not intent, that is the impact. And so I always look at that like if you haven't started to dismantle that type of thinking that it comes from being on that other side of slavery and oppression, then there's still more work to do. And you as a healer can only heal so much if you're even healing at all. Because you haven't built, like dive deep into your shadow and really start to make, and, and, and you know, get that stuff out on the table and start looking at it and say, okay, yeah, I am affected by this. My mentality is skewed. And that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then now we have a place to start. Yeah, well, that is what has been very interesting to me within um, specifically New Age communities, but a little bit of like Christian communities, too, where there is Uh like a a predominant, whether it's even if it's in L.A., like the church I went to in L.A. was considered very diverse, but it was predominantly um, white people. And even in the in the new age groups that I was a part of, I kind of like to hop around and get a taste of what's going on and everything. Um, as you, you could tell, I'm in a Christian church, I'm in a new age building, and yeah. So, but what's interesting to me about that about white people who are into spirituality, who are have a focus in their life of spirituality, is that they don't understand. I just don't, how do I say this well? I don't get how people aren't realizing that it was never healed. The trauma of slavery was never healed. So, of course, we need to heal it now. Like, why is it that you're in defense mode and you're you're defending yourself and you're offended by the suggestion that there's racism alive and well within you and within our culture and our society. How, if we had never healed that, if we just blew past it and acted like everything was okay, how as you, as a spiritual person, everybody knows you can't move past what you don't heal. Like, this is like 101. How are are white people within these communities not uh, getting it? That's what I don't understand as a white person within the spiritual community. Well, that's, that's, a part of this delusion so it's a it's a bubble when you create a bubble then what's reflected back to you you see as truth and it's almost like if you never ever like say for instance you grew up in a small town say someone did an experiment i took you and i moved you to an island and whatever i told you on this island and you never ever came in contact with anyone else you would you would see as true. And you can grow for you can go for generations on this island and every and you'll pass that same knowledge down as true. Whatever I told you, I can tell you you're from this this planet where you're from Mars. I can tell you that you, you are alien. I can tell you that you have superpowers. I can tell you whatever. Because you are on this isolated insular island, God true and you will descend it. So the way that you break down this is to break down the insular environment. About, and not to say that someone's good or bad, because people get stuck on the good or bad and the right or wrong. Like it doesn't, that's irrelevant to me. And that's a perspective. That's not necessarily true. You know, depending on what society you're in, what's good could be bad and the other way around. But for instance, I had a friend from college and I love her dearly, but we had a conversation once and I was 
talking about what my passions are and I'm so passionate about this and I want to change the world and all these different things. And she told me her passion was to be a good mom and to give her kids the best childhood they ever had. And and I do think motherhood is, is important and it is a sacred thing. But you see how this is where that insular thinking starts. This is where that bubble starts. When all you care about is you and your kids and being a mom, then you're cut off from the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. And that is a privilege because most people of color don't really have that privilege to just care about their family and they have making sure the kids have the best childhood ever. They just don't. Uh, most people of color have to have to give their kids the tools to survive in the type of America that we live in. So most people of color are giving their kids survival skills. They're not necessarily giving them the best childhood ever. And this is so deep because as you cut yourself off and in modern day islands of the story I told, it looks like subdivisions. It looks like it looks like predominantly white neighborhoods. It looks like predominantly white clubs, organizations, associations, schools. That you just have your own bubble and you have your own thoughts. So the world cannot progress and it will not progress until you come out of your bubble and you begin to develop empathy, not sympathy, because a lot of people have sympathy. Oh, look at this poor people of color, look at these neighborhoods. That's sympathy, that's pity. Empathy, if you understand compassion and, the, and etymology, I love etymology. Etymology of the word compassion or, or, or passion is suffer. Etymology of compassion is to suffer with. So empathy is to stand with, to stand in. And this is what I'm saying about looking at the darkness. To have empathy for someone is to stand in what they are going through with them. And that you cannot do when you're in your bubble. You cannot do when you're in your insular environments. You cannot do when you're in your subdivision. You cannot do when your main and only concern is your family, your husband, your children. Yeah. And like you said, that is a a privilege that people of color don't have. Mm -hmm. To be like, I'm just concerned with myself. Mm-hmm. I just need to love and light myself. I just need to take care of myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I so get what you're saying. But it is interesting to me that the spiritual community hasn't led the way. Like, Because you would think they're the spiritual community. You are the ones who are supposed to get it first and do it first and go after it first. Like, in my opinion. But clearly, that's not how it is. Well, because people aren't doing spiritual work. Spirituality now has become a um, marketing campaign. You know, people are making money off of being a spiritual entrepreneur. And and I think as it has been intentionally so. So you have to really understand. And and I said, people people will not like this. But it was someone told me, I read someone else said this quote before and I loved it. They were like, they said, I am not here to be liked. (laughs) I am here to give you truth. So for me, I say, you probably won't, a lot of people won't like what I'm saying. I'm not here for you to like it. I'm here to liberate your mind and your heart yes. <laughs> and give you truth. So um, what happens is a lot of people aren't doing spirituality. They are doing entertainment. 
They're doing spiritual entertainment. They're not doing spiritual work. So for me, it doesn't. It makes a lot of sense that no one's leading the way because you have to do spiritual work. Spiritual work almost always comes through a crisis. Most of people, um, and particularly in the whitewashed community of spirituality, most of the people who are teaching love and light messages have not had a crisis. They're just talking about love, fluffy bunnies and rainbows and unicorns of things that feel good that is almost essentially getting high off of um, really high vibrations. So it's like um, being that spiritual junkie, like getting high off of feeling good, high off of being motivated. And I always love, and I said this in one of my videos, um, I think his name is Chris Gillibue. I'm going to totally butcher that. I'm sorry. But Chris G had said, said, said once that um, inspiration without action is entertainment. So spiritual inspiration without true action is entertainment. And a lot of people are being entertained. So don't confuse spiritual entertainment and marketing <laughs> and niches with true spiritual work. Because you, I live in D.C. And in D.C., the women I was surrounded by were white. So this is not me bashing a group. They are like, my closest friends, the coat that I've ever had, some of them on this planet. And they did, were doing real work. Yeah. Real work. But that's D.C., see? Yeah. Where, um, where the culture there, people are not as vain. They're not as superficial. You know, um, there's other things going on in D.C. That, that needs to be addressed. But the culture of the people there, they were really diving deep into the spiritual work. So the women, every white woman I've met in D.C., were, they were doing it, and they were changing the world, and and they, a lot of them were my mentors. So it's not all, but I do find a lot of the younger generations, and particularly California, particularly L.A., it's a lot of superficial spirituality. Um, and then, you know, with the invention of social media, and Instagram and cool, cool pictures. It's cool to have uh, pictures of crystals. It's cool to have pictures of burning sage. It, it makes it, you're cool now. You're unique. Back in the day when people used to be the goth, you know, dressing goth, this is a modern day goth. Like, I'm different than everyone else. I'm hip. I'm cool. I'm deep. And that's what a lot of people are doing. So don't confuse that with spiritual work. Yeah. No, it's really good. It's really good. Well, let's talk about um, you and I met via a Facebook group called White Woman for Women of Color, which, by the way, in the beginning, I didn't understand because uh, I'm really relatively new. Like I said before, I grew up in the 90s. I was born in the 90s, and I really grew up thinking that racism was gone. I grew up in a predominantly white um community, a predominantly white school system, predominantly white neighborhoods, and... um it wasn't until maybe, I think, when all those Facebook Live videos were happening with Philando Castile and just being able to see, see the death of um, black men in this country in such a brutal and real and live way, it, it shook me because I was like, oh, okay, so it's alive and well. I was lied to. It, it's not over. It's not done with. Mm -hmm. um, so joining the, the group White Woman for Women of Color, at first I felt like being um new to the to the movement i didn't understand what that meant i felt like it was white women wanting to take over the race war and like <laughs> try to <laughs> be
be the ones leading the way. And I was like, no, we're supposed to let women of color lead the way. And we need to take a back seat and just be in a supporting role and, and just be alongside. But now I kind of understand having been following white nonsense roundup. And that's kind of, for me, what my experience in white women for women of color is, is kind of similar to a white nonsense roundup. You have people just keeping you accountable, teaching you and um, picking up the burden of women of color so that women of color aren't the ones having to explain racism 101 to every white person that comes around so I was like okay good I'm on board but how did you come to join the group what has been your experience of being a part of the group so I actually belonged uh, to this other group of women that are amazing and Mira posted looking for someone to join um, WW4WOC as a woman of color council member. And so that was interesting to me. I was like, hey, you know, let me see what this is. And we set up a call. We, she told me about the organization with a Facebook group. And I, I was like, hey, I want to be a part of this. So she invited me in to be actually part of the council members. So there are three women of color council members in this group just so it won't be a space that becomes like i was saying again the importance of not having these insular environments or these bubble environments where it's just white voices on white voices because this is the part that needs to be healed the privileged thinking and perspective needs to be healed and the only way it can do that is bringing in the diversity so um they created a council of women of color so they can always have a sounding board and i became one of those women and i have been loving it <laughs> i really do um, we meet every week um we discuss what where we want to go with, with the group the vision we discuss the topics we're going to do and and so for me it's just really there to support the women and be this place of sounding board and put ideas in and just kind of watch this grow and blossom yes what has been like your experience like just interacting with white women who are on all sorts of levels of understanding and activism like what has just been your experience being a part of like the threads on the, within the group well i would say um the group is a one-on-one space so it's really just beginning to do the shift I honestly feel personally that every white woman, um, and I'm going to start white women, I think going they're, they're first, and then they'll help do the change with white men. But I feel like every white woman should be a part of an ally group or circle. I honestly feel like that's important. Because if we're going to change some of the sicknesses of this country, you're going to have to have a self-awareness or a realization that happens and occurs and some of the ways you thought are gonna have to be left behind and just, and not be defensive about that and just realize that it's, it's only logical. If I am a descendant or of a culture that was a major oppressor or, and, 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 and of slavery and just, you know, all these other atrocities in this country, then some of that has been passed down to me, even if it's subconscious. Some of it has been passed down to me, yes. even if it's not in my intent. Yes. Because I know personally in my work that I do, I work with helping women heal, all women of all cultures, heal childhood trauma. 
and realizing how that affects my relationships with men and my and romantic partners and my relationships even with my friends and my relationships with my coworkers and my relationship with my former supervisors. That this childhood trauma that was subconscious was actually informing every part of my life. This unconscious, subconscious trauma was informing my life. And to me, what happened in America was not just African Americans, but with Native Americans, with Latin Americans, is traumatic. And to be the culture or the race that actually inflicted most of that trauma is also traumatic. I used to work with an organization that helped um, schools deal with bullying. And what they did was they sat with everyone in a bullying situation and they acknowledged that the person who is doing the act and the person who is the target of the act, those are both traumatic situations, mm. but different forms of the same coin, different sides of the same coin. So to undo your trauma, <laughs> and some people may not like that I say this, to use it as trauma, but it is trauma. Anything for me spiritually that takes you away from who you really are, the soul alignment, the source, the love, is trauma. Yes. Whether you're inflicting it or receiving it. So I do feel that, um, you know, a lot of that naturally, it's going to be naturally passed down. Yeah. And you, you know, you can't do about it. So I, you know, I, to answer that question to sum it up, because I do believe every white woman, every white person should really be an ally education group <laughs> like WW for WOC so they can start to see and really almost like everyone's, I, you know, everyone's living in Oz is time to come back to campus. Yeah. Well, you know, what's interesting is um, a couple of years ago, there was something on Good Morning America, and it it's like ever since then has stuck with me about genetic memory. Like basically, um, each generation you get passed down this these memories. Um, I don't know. Have you ever have you ever heard of this or something similar to it? Yes. Yes. I call it. So I call. Yeah. So for me, for spiritually, everything you know, going to be spiritually. It's going to be metaphysical to me, and then the physical. So I call one. You have. Um, I call it ancestral karma. Yes. Or, 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 or <laughs> you know, I call it ancestral karma. You know, you have two types of ancestral karma, which one is passed down through DNA and cells, similar to cellular memory, and then the other is passed down through spiritual and almost psychic karma. And so everyone has that. And a long time ago, the story is like, going to be a little bit of a, me digressing. But when I was in D.C., I bought my first condo. I was so excited. And as soon as I got the keys, I was like, okay, I, I did the walkthrough. Everything was great. I got the keys. I walked in. As soon as I opened the door around the entire condo on every single windowsill was a, ma- a massive amount of pigeons. And I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> what is this? What is going on? Why didn't I see this when I bought this place? And it was pigeons everywhere. I mean, pigeons on, upon pigeons upon pigeons. <laughs> and so I went and read, like, oh, my, how do you get rid of pigeons? And me, I, you know, I love animals, so I'm not about killing them and things like that. So I even read everything. And people were talking about pigeons. They was like, oh, whatever you do, don't poison them. Don't kill them. Because pigeons, when they're offspring, when they roost somewhere, 
their offspring, two things happen with pigeons when they die. One, when, they, when you kill pigeons, something happens in their population that they will overpopulate. They will sense that the population is going down and then they'll overpopulate. So they said that actually poisoning them will actually bring more pigeons. Okay. And then they said, two, if you, if you poison them, then their babies, pigeons have this, this generational memory, their babies will remember where the parents roosted. And they will be born and never have seen the roost will go there. Wow. And that was deep to me. So, you know, of course, I would never have poisoned them anyway because I love animals. But the only thing you could do is deter them, you, you know, to get them from not being there. And that's why I feel it's so important to understand that with what happened in this country, not just with slavery, but starting even with, you know, how we got this country. <laughs> you know, and people people who love America are are you know have this patriotism. They don't want to look at the darkness. How did you get this country? How did you come to acquire this country? You didn't just say hello. I'm here. I you know hi. We're moving in. You know, this country was taken and people were slaughtered that were already here that already belonged to. So understanding even that. Is passed down, yeah, through genetics, yeah, memory or ancestral karma, yeah. So besides, and I know that you know, and but I also want to say this too. Like I know that people, and then you know, everyone starts to get this whole defensive thing, and and I'm not, you know, they're they are descendants of uh, Irish or they're descendants of this, uh, you know, that okay, great, that's fine. <laughs> but America has a culture, so at some point. Your ancestors lived in America, and if they either if they weren't directly descendants of the people who did the atrocities, you know that's the thing to first understand about white white privilege is they benefited from them. So yeah. then that still is passed down. Yeah. Yeah, and the oppression of Irish people in America does not affect Irish people today. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Like, that makes no sense, that argument. I just, like, can't get it. I just don't get, yeah, I get that. <laughs> yeah, um, same, same here. You know, people um, within, a lot of people within my family and a lot of people within my Facebook feed. My Facebook feed is not an echo chamber. Like, even though I'm from L.A., you would think it would be, like, a very liberal kind of echo chamber and everyone would have the same views as me. But I actually have a very diverse feed because it's people from my hometown. It's people from my family. It's people from old church communities that I was a part of, Christian communities, that I'm like debating on whether to delete or not, because I don't want to live in an echo chamber. But I, I do think that there's there's something about always the yeah. same points keep coming up on, from white people of why we shouldn't talk about racism or why racism yeah. isn't a, pro- a problem. And so that's interesting that, um, yeah, but it's a, but you're right, it's so passed down. It's passed down, and that pigeon story is yeah. like what's happening now. Like we have never left. Um, we haven't left it. We have haven't moved past no. it. And, and to your point about the echo chamber, most people of color, it's impossible to live in an echo chamber. Just even if you think that, you know, pro black or pro culture, it may seem as that that they're in an echo chamber, but they're not because. Point being, it's like um, almost everywhere I go, even today, even in LA, in LA, almost every single place I go, every single day, I am the one of me, if not two or three. 
yeah. every every day of my life. And I have a friend who she went to, two story quick stories. One as a friend, um, she went to India, and she had had a hard time in India because for the first time in her life, she was on a plane and she was the only white person. For the first time in her life. She went there and was only the only white person. It was jarring for her. And that's very interesting to me that this is something that everyone else lives every single day, every single day, having to be the only me every day. And there is not, it's not possible for me to be in an echo chamber. I even dated, I dated a guy once and um, I, I went to, we went to this Korea um, town restaurant, Korea town, this Korean restaurant. And he was because you know um the korean culture is very homogenous you know culture very nationalist culture so we went to this restaurant that, you know and i'm okay i'm cool with always being the only person so it didn't matter if it was korean or if it was, if it was white you know and he was so uncomfortable he just kept saying oh my god we're the only non-koreans here <laughs> and i'm thinking oh yeah of course we went right because I, I know i've already understood korean culture i would expect to be the only non-Korean there. And so that was interesting to me, how many white people can say that they've had the experience? How many people are intentionally creating that experience for themselves, being the only white person somewhere? Yeah. You know, and, and that not looking at it as like, oh my God, I'm the only white person here. How, may, how often do you find yourself in that situation? How often are you creating that situation for yourself so that you, can, you don't have this echo chamber? And I want to um, kind of follow that statement up with this. Growing up, even in college, um, in high school, whatever, I know about white history. I know about white pop culture. Do you know, I know about white people's hair and about the oil and about the needing to having to wash it frequently. I know about how white people don't really necessarily need the oil in their skin. They don't need lotion. They don't need... To, you know, they may need that sometimes. They don't have to do it every day. You know, like I know those things. I know the types of foods that they eat. I know, and this is something that you 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 just learn as a person of color. But do you know, every, almost every white person I've ever met, and I won't say all, but a lot of them, don't know anything about anyone other than a white person. They don't know any. They know stereotypes. Yeah, everyone loves stereotypes, but they don't know your popular culture songs they don't know people there are people that in a black community that people revere there are people in a black community that the music is something that everyone grew up on they don't know that you don't like i can go somewhere i go out i used to go party with my my white friends in college and or like rocky horror show picture show movie comes on everyone starts singing it or mama mia comes on everyone starts singing it and know the words i know that but you don't know that anthem for me. You don't know what that is for a black person. You don't know what black people do that too, because we have those anthems too, where every black person will sing the song and laugh and have fun. You have no idea what those that is, mm. and that is the that's the problem. Yeah. You when I went to college, people didn't understand my hair. They're touching it. They don't understand why I put oil in my hair. They don't understand why I put lotion on. This is in college a place of higher learning where every single person around me is treating me like I'm in a, a museum or some type of specimen on display because you haven't diversified your life. It's really good. And with the internet, yeah. And the internet now, is there's no excuse. There is none now. <laughs> there is no excuse. Yeah. It's that insular thinking. And that is the problem. And if you want to know why it says this, it's because 
you don't have it in you to, and not saying people who belong to these groups like WWWOC, they have it in them. You know, they are the, you know, the people going left when everyone's going right. <laughs> you know, there are already those people who are walking to the beat of their own drum. There are already those people who probably were always different or outliers, you know? Yeah. So they're always probably going to always have been that that person anyway. But what we need to get to is the people who are in the middle, who aren't the outliers, who aren't coming to this on their own, who don't think it's a problem that you don't even know anything about another culture other than stereotypes. Yeah. Or Martin Luther King. <laughs> you know, <laughs> everyone knows Martin Luther King. <laughs> yeah, but that's it. <laughs> It like ends there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just just got to do the work. Like basically my takeaway from my conversation today with you, and I hope other people are getting a lot of takeaways too, but my takeaway is it is not enough to just um, know something or pretend that you're doing the work. You need to do the work and you need to be in it with women of color, with people of color. Yeah, for people of color. And, and that's why I did include, like I said, what happened to black people, what happened to Latin Americans, what happened to Native Americans. You know, I did, because I wanted to say, like, you know, every these different groups do experience, the, you know, same or similar types of racism, prejudice, atrocities, um, you know, and other things that are happening in our country. And I like to say what I say now, which is something I use in my work, is do the deep work. Yes. But don't just do the work anymore, because everyone's saying they're doing the work. Okay, great, you're doing the work, that's great. Do the deep work. And I always tell my clients and my friends and my loved ones that the universe is infinite. So guess what? Your work is infinite. So that means that if you think you're doing deep work, then do deeper work. (laughs) You can always go deeper. You can always dive deeper. You can always become more expansive. You can always evolve. So anytime anyone always tells me they're already doing the work, they're already spiritual, they already arrived, they already know, that already tells me you're not. Because what I know right now, I started my spirituality um, quest and journey 12 years ago. But what I know now is even deeper than that. And back then, I was pretty deep. (laughs) (laughs) So what I know now is even even grown. You know, whatever's not growing is dead. Yeah. It's just simple. It's really good. You know what? Go about going deeper, this picture came to me. I had a dream last year when I was age in Asia, and um I was really going through it, just different things um and I had this dream one night, and I was standing in the ocean, and this huge wave came, and it was like a tsunami, like I was gonna die. <laughs> And um, as it came, I just knew that I needed to dive as deep as I as I could go. And then when I came up, the wave had passed me. And I really feel like that's kind of like what we're living in right now is like the wave looks really big. The obstacles look really big. The problems are really big. And we've just got to dive deeper. I'm really loving this conversation. Like, I'm feeling a new sense of being inspired. You know, like, I really am because having had so many hard conversations in the past couple weeks, both online and in person, and just feeling like I I am an empath, so I get drained so quick. I haven't mastered that gift. It really uses me more than I use it at this point in time in my life. And, um... 
I'm just like feeling this new like yes we gotta go deeper like okay so my takeaway before was go deep or uh, I talked about all my careers but you know you know I told you briefly I went to film school so I did have a little brief film career <laughs> very brief but one thing I love about film was that it's a it's a master this organism that works um, like a body that works with many organisms and so knowing that everyone. Everyone, like, I'm not a front lines type of activist. You know, that's just not me. I'm not going to be, you know, when I lived in Oakland, um, I had some neighbors who were like, yeah, we're going to Occupy. Come on, Sandra, you're going to go with us. And I'm like, okay, this sounds great. And like, so you're going to probably get arrested. But don't worry, because everyone gets arrested, you know. And then when, when this happens, and I was thinking, like, okay, whoa. Like, Sandra doesn't want to be arrested, you know. And so knowing, you know, who you are. And, and, and there's a space for you. There's a place for you. So everyone's not going to be a frontline activist. But that doesn't mean... So people see this as two things. They see it so black and white, you know, um, and no no pun intended. But <laughs> they see it as... They see it as, got to be an activist. Got to be on that front line and, 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 or not, or nothing. No, there's... there. You know, in the group, we talk about this, too. If you, if you have the um, finances... <laughs> then put your money in it. You know, if you are a person that likes to be on the front line and you have that strong spirit, then get on the front line. Me, I am a healer. I am a voice. I have the gift of communication. So my work is going to come through illumination. Like I told you, I'm here to liberate and illuminate. So that is my gift. That is what I'm here to do is truth. And when I speak and I say things, people's perspectives change. That's my gift. So I use it in that way. And I heal and I help other people heal. And I help empaths charge up so they can go out and do their work. So knowing that, like in film, you have a cinematographer, you have a director, you have a producer, you have a production designer, you have the person who is doing craft services, you have the person who is the property master who's just, just only in charge of props. But then a person who's getting paid, all they do is handle every single prop, every pencil, every everything an actor holds. You have people who are who are gaffers who are just doing the lighting. You have people who are grips who are moving all the stuff around. You have people who just handle the truck. You have people who just handle the money. You have people who are you know, and and if the, any one of those people don't do their job, the whole thing goes down. Mm. And every job is equally important, but knowing that that if you are a gaffer, be a gaffer. If you are a producer and you don't want to be a leader and you're being a gaffer, you're not being used. You're not being utilized. So if you know you're a leader, be a leader. If you know you're not a leader, support the leaders (laughs) and use your gift. And use your gift. Because being a gaffer, knowing how to light a movie is so important. There's sound. When I first started filming, I had my first films were horrible because the sound was horrible. So you can watch these beautiful films, you couldn't hear anything. So there, you see how it's everyone, everyone is needed right now. And whatever your specialty is, whatever your gift is, then you do that work, and that's your deep dive, and you evolve that gift. And pour it out to as many people as you can. So good. Ah, so good. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I'm loving it. Well, I want to ask you two quick final questions. 
Your work is with mm-hmm. um, as a radical love coach. What is radical love for you? So radical love for me is almost somewhat of a double entendre. <laughs> so I love etymologies I said before. So to understand the word radical, it means to do something different. So and also to understand the other form of the word is to go to the root. So one of the the etymology of it means root, and the other means to do in a different way. So for me, radical love is basically essentially showing women, because I primarily work with women, how to love in a different way, how to get them to basically love themselves and give themselves the love that they are seeking from others. And that love is tapping to the love from within, tapping into the love from source. And that is the root. So once we are plugged into the source, which is creator, God, whatever your spiritual practice is and belief, then we are plugged in, tapped in, tuned in, and now we can go out and we can heal and we can go out and do our work. We can go out and be our true self. But when we're looking for other people to plug us in, and that's what's happening even in these situations, you're using these things to fill a void instead of really tapping into the source and the root of love, which is creator, which is self, one and the same. So that's what I do with Radical Love, and I just show people how, how to get through all of that <laughs> debris, clear it all out, all childhood wounds, all love wounds, any past traumas, and get down to the root and the source of love and learn how to fill yourself up and not have to get that from other people. I love that. I love that. So then my final question for you is what does being a sister mean to you? Well, you know, being a sister, (laughs) it it means so many different things uh, because I am a sister. (laughs) In the biological sense, I have a sister. Um, I mean, and, uh, and I have a brother. And um, I do feel like it's a bond. It means that there is a shared bond we have, one of endearment, one of love. And when I use that term um, to someone who is not my biological sibling, to me that's the highest form of love. I do feel like a lot of people throw that word around right now, but when you use that, that should be saying, I view you as someone that I am bonded to. I view you as someone that I feel I feel an intimate bond to. And so as we create sisterhood, we should hold them as sacred. And they should not become so marketing heavy or just things we do to 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 to, to get you know, gain influence or to make money, you know. Yes. Yeah, I love that. That is the bond. I like that. Yeah. And, oh, I want to um, add one more thing is that what I wanted to say, too, is so overall the work I do is not just in love. You know, radical love is one part of my work. Um, The other part is spiritual healing. And what I I really do, I sum it all up is, like, I heal and mend and would help you reclaim what was lost in the fire. So I use lost in the fire because I feel like 
everyone has been through something. You know, everyone has come through a fire, so to speak. And those parts of you, you felt were burned to ash in that fire. I help you breathe life back into them so that you're not this person who is incomplete or just have all this loss or things that you feel that were gone and lost or irreplaceable. So learning to heal in the end and reclaim what you feel was lost in a fire. So good. Wow, so good. I mean, and that's got some layers to it that I'm listening back. I'm going to have to process some of that because there's some good layers. Just like in that metaphor of a fire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's some good layers in that. Wow. So where can people find you um, online? I don't know if you want people to find you, but if they do want to find no, you. No, yes, yes. <laughs> no I, I want you to find me. Um, I, I do this full time. <laughs> This is my purpose, my path, my career, my vocation. Um, so if anyone wants to just learn about more what, about what I do or interested in anything that I do, you can um, hop on over to www.shandacatrice.com, and that is S-H-A-N-D-A-C-A-T-R-I-C-E.com. And if I can um, just tell you a little bit about, I do have a course coming up um, Next week, actually, I think, <laughs> or the week after, September 7th, and I'm going to be helping empaths basically transform from the overwhelmed empath to the powerful empath, and it's a six-week live course, and we'll be diving in. We'll be doing that deep work, <laughs> understanding um, gifts as an empath and also how to cleanse, clear, ground, protect, and then learn how to transform energy. So you can start using that work as a healer. If you can't make the live session, will there be a, a playback? Yes. Um, anyone who enrolls in the course, there's going to be recording. So every session is going to be recorded. And you're going to get homework. You're going to have access to me if you have any questions. So all of that. Awesome. Awesome. Everyone go to shandacatrice.com. <laughs> Go and get it. Thank you so much, Shanda, for coming on. I just really value your your insight, your gifts. Just thank you so much for coming and talking to Sister Radio. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I, you know, I always don't know, like, should I talk about um, activism or race relations, you know? But I really love the, the way you said, like, you know, racism, spirituality, and radical love. That, to me, is just like so amazing and beautiful and it really is about you know turning that light on now and we got to start talking about uncomfortable things it's good it's good thank you shanda thank you you've been listening to sister radio Thank you again, Shanda, for coming on. This show is so refreshing and delightful, and I hope everybody listening feels like they can go out and do some deep work and spread some radical love. Sister Radio. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.